Time now for 15 Minutes of Faith, practical application of God's timeless truth for today. A ministry of Harvest Baptist Church in Bay City, Michigan, where we glorify God, live His purpose, and love people well. So let's get growing with 15 Minutes of Faith. Have you ever thought about world peace? I know we've heard it from time to time, whether it be from politicians or activists or people that just have a desire to see everybody get along and live in harmony. There's been one time or another, I'm sure, that you've heard someone have a desire for world peace. What if I told you today that there's actually a historical account in the Bible where there was what I would say is the closest thing to world peace uh, that we would have ever experienced on this planet that God has created, and it doesn't necessarily turn out the way that you would expect. Thank you for joining us here today. This is 15 Minutes of Faith. I am your host, Pastor Jeremy Byler of Harvest Baptist Church in Bay City, Michigan, and we are going to be in the book of Genesis chapter number 11 today. Genesis chapter number 11 begins the next narrative in the Bible, this time coming right after the narrative of Noah and the flood. In chapter number 9, we see God giving his promise to Noah. Some know that as the Noahic covenant, the agreement that he will never flood the world again with water. And to demonstrate that promise, he puts the rainbow in the air. And that's an amazing thing that we can see, something that was written in the early days of Genesis, in the pages of the Bible that we can see today. Whenever you see the rainbow in the sky, that is God's promise that he'll never flood the world uh, with water again. And then in chapter number 10, it gets into the generations of Noah. And a lot of times when we see that, we know that the narrative is going to take another direction. And that's exactly what happens in the book of Genesis chapter number 11. And we see right at the beginning in verse number one, it says, And the whole earth was of one language and one speech. At this time, there was one world language, and they all spoke the same language, and they all understood each other. And they went on a journey, as we see in Genesis chapter 11, verse number two, it says, And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. So here they are coming on their journey. They find a plain of Shinar, and they take a look around, and they say, This is a good place to dwell. Let's do exactly that. And in verse number three, it says, And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and had slime they for mortar. Okay, so they're going to get together and they're going to have this wonderful project. They've got this project they're going to work on. And many of you are very familiar with this account. Some of you, if you're not, that's okay because we're going to talk about it today. And here's what they do in verse number four. It says, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So we see we have what we would consider at least a snapshot or what seems like world peace in the book of Genesis chapter number 11. And this is important. This is important that we understand and take a look at this example before us. And sometimes we picture and imagine what world peace would look like where everybody's getting along and we're all working together and we're all building something in common and we're dwelling in perfect harmony and we all... Uh, speak at least a language that can be understood amongst each other, and all is well. But that's not necessarily the case. And we see that there is a problem as we pick up in verse number five, where it says, And the Lord came down to see the city 
and the tower which the children of men builded. So in this uh, historical account that we have before us today, we see God looking down and says, hey, what is everybody up to? Again, God knows everything, so it's not as though this is some sort of surprise to God, but instead he is just looking and observing is what he's going to do. And that's what he does. In verse number six, it says, And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do. So this is what the Lord's saying in Genesis chapter number 11, verse number six. He says, You know what? They all speak the same language. They all get along. There is world peace, so to speak. And this is how they respond. And he says here, And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. He says the world is literally their oyster. Whatever it is that they want to do, whatever it is they want to accomplish, they can. So God does something. In verse number seven, he says, go to, let us go down and there confound their language they, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of the earth, all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel. Because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon all the face of all the earth. Did you catch that? So some of us might take a look and see what's going on there and say, hey, what's up with that? Everybody's getting along. Everybody's playing nice. Why in the world would God come down and mess up their plans. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes we say that as well. God, everything's going the way that I want it to. Why are you coming down and messing up my plans? But here's the thing we need to remember that God is omniscient. He's all knowing. Uh, and if God is messing up your plans, it's for your own good. If God's messing up your plans, it's because he has a better one. So don't be afraid of that, but let's take a look. Why would that be a problem? Why would it be a problem for a people uh, to get along, to desire to do something, to want to build something together and to do exactly that. And yet God is not pleased with that. Well, the truth is right there in the text before us today. And that's what we're going to take a look at. And it's pretty interesting when we think about that in the context of world peace. So again, let's start again in verse number three, where it says, and they said one to another, go to let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone, and they had slime for mortar. Nothing wrong with that. They're going to do some building. Obviously, when you travel, when you go to a far land and you determine to settle somewhere, obviously, you need to build. That's not where the problem is. But here it is as the problem is found in verse number four. And they said, go to, number one, the first problem, it says, let us. Okay, let us. Uh, we see no acknowledgment we see no seeking of wisdom from the Lord their God. Now remember, this is a generation that has been an offspring of those that had endured the worldwide flood. Another way to put it, these are all the descendants of, of Noah, really, from Shem, Ham, Japheth, uh, those generations. Now mind you, in the Old Testament, historical accounts are very important even during that time. Many writings, many monuments, many different things were taken care of. And we see in Genesis chapter 10, even the genealogies that were recorded is of very uh, important significance historically to them. So the flood wouldn't be something that they weren't very familiar with. In fact, they would have known exactly what that was all about. Even though there was a span of time, many generations had gone by between Noah 
in the time of the Tower of Babel. In fact, what it is that they're doing shows that they are aware of the presence and the power and even the judgment of God. God has brought, had brought his judgment upon the people uh, during that time of Noah that he brought the flood because the world was filled with violence and people's uh, imaginations were continually evil and uh, many other reasons why God had brought that flood as somewhat of a fresh start between Noah, who found grace in the sight of the Lord, and his remnant. But what they're doing is showing not only are they acknowledging the power of God, but they're also uh, showing that they really are trying to separate themselves from him. First and foremost, as we see there in verse number four, where it says, let us, they want to do it. They want to do it on their own. They want to do it together. We don't see any acknowledgement of asking God, seeking his wisdom, uh, seeking his permission, seeking his will or his way. We don't see any of that. It says, no, let us. Sometimes in our lives, that's what we want to do. We said, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to execute this plan. And sometimes we do it because we kind of want God out of the picture. That's bad news. Very bad news. You want God in the picture at all times. You want to be seeking his guidance. You want to be seeking his wisdom in all things because he's the one that is going to guide you and help you and and make these things come to pass so long as you acknowledge him and set him before you. But that's where we see the first part of the problem was let us build who a city in verse number four of Genesis chapter 11, build us a city. They're building it unto themselves. That's not just saying, yeah, let's build this cool city that we can live in. No, it's saying let us build us a city. It's about themselves. They are turning their backs on God. And how do we know that from what we're reading here? And it says, and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. Okay. So again, let us make us a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. Sounds very eerily similar to the pride of Lucifer, where he said, I will make myself as the most high couple of things here in regards to the Tower of Babel. When they said that they were going to make it out of slime and pitch and mortar, that brick with slime and pitch and mortar would be brick that is what? Waterproof. Okay, so it's waterproof brick that they want to build all the way up under the heavens. Why? In case the world gets flooded again, in case God brings his judgment, in case something should happen where God is not pleased what they are doing, and they are what? Trying to God-proof themselves. We see that uh, they have waterproof brick that they're building a tower where they can dwell in that will reach under the heavens. So just in case God decides to bring another flood, they can all climb to the top and God cannot touch them. And it gets worse because look what, look what else it says in verse number four. Uh, tower unto heaven, and there it is again, and let us make us a name. Let us make us a name. They wanted to make a name for themselves. What's interesting here as we continue to read is all of this is led by an individual by the name of Nimrod. In Genesis chapter number 10, starting in verse 8, it says, And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore, it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And then in verse 10 of Genesis chapter 10, it says, And the beginning of his kingdom was what? Babel. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. So we know that Nimrod was a mighty one in the earth. 
Okay, he was one that uh, was well known. He had a kingdom that started at Babel, and he had a unified world, really, that he had world peace, was the political leader of world peace, and wouldn't you know it, his desire was to build a tower that was God-proof. And just for side reference here, we see a couple of things here where he says, a mighty man in the earth and also was a mighty hunter of the field. That's an illustration of their worldliness, uh, not seeking uh, the desire of the Lord, not seeking God's will. As a matter of fact, there's another one that was described as a mighty hunter of the field, and that was Esau, Jacob's brother. And the picture there was the worldly Esau and the spiritual Jacob and uh, the contrast they had between one another. But wouldn't you know it, if you take a look at this interesting story of the Tower of Babel, we see that we have a political dictator that is leading a unified people and a unified people that is dwelling in peace throughout the entire earth. They had world peace behind one leader, and their desire was to circumvent God. Isn't that something? And who are we to think that we're any different in this world in which we live today? So I would, I would challenge you to beware of any political leader that promises world peace, that promises peace and safety. You know who promises peace and safety in the Bible? The Antichrist. We're not going to get into that today. Uh, but nonetheless, we find political leaders saying that we can dwell together in unity and in harmony. The only time people can dwell together in good unity is in the unity of the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit, Holy Spirit is God. And when we're dwelling together in the unity of the Spirit, that in and of itself is true and real peace. The peace that passes all understanding. So there it is. We have a picture in the Bible. Isn't it great that the Bible is relevant even unto today? If you ever wondered what it would look like to have world peace, turn yourself over to Genesis chapter 10 and 11, and you see what a sin-filled, flesh-filled world would do with world peace. They would do everything in their power to try and circumvent God, to try and get away from him, and try to avoid his judgment. But as we can see with God's solution there in the Tower of Babel is no different than a solution he would have for us today. And it's all for the best. You see, they were commanded to be scattered abroad, but they said, lest we be scattered throughout the whole earth. So not only were they trying to circumvent God, but they were rebelling against his will that they go into all the world and that they be fruitful and multiply and be scattered abroad amongst the whole earth. So that is what a unified people would do. That is unified in the flesh. A unified people in the spirit well, you can find what they can do in the beginning chapters of the book of Acts. They can turn the world on its head through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I hope that was an encouragement to you today. I look forward to spending time with you again. But until then, stay faithful.